to me, it always it just seemed like a fundamental flaw. Here you have a a team just blatantly and overtly violating the rule of the game because it's their only recourse to try to come back in the game. Fred Rachani, the Sports Courier podcast. We have right here on the line a very special guest, a highly regarded guest. If for those that don't know, the NBA All-Star Game has a bit of a twist this year. It's going to feature the Elam ending as seen on the basketball tournament TBT, but there's a lot of intrigue. There's also a lot of questions. So I thought, why not bring a person that's an expert on the Elam ending? Oh, wait, we did. And he's not only an expert, he is the inventor of the Elam ending, Professor Nick Elam from Ball State University. Professor, how's it going? Hey, it's going great. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank, thanks for hopping on. Now, man, I mean, the Elam ending has been in development for over a decade. Uh, you wrote about it back in 2007. It's been adopted for a couple years now on TBT, the basketball tournament, which has been airing on ESPN and other platforms. And now it has all come to a head at the forefront in the NBA All-Star Game. When you heard that the NBA wanted to use your ending, your rules that you concocted, what was your initial reaction? Uh, I was really excited. Uh, I appreciate it that they gave me a heads up in advance of the official announcement uh, and told me that they appreciated my passion for the game, my innovative ideas. They had told me that in their internal discussions with the Players Association that uh, the players really see a lot of merit in this concept of an untimed finish to games. And then when they told me that they wanted to send me uh, as a guest of the NBA to All-Star Weekend in Chicago, I was, I was thrilled for all those reasons. But then instantly I started thinking about, okay, how is this actually going to look and play out? How is the All-Star game going to end? You know, is it going to be a LeBron James dunk, James Harden three, you know, all these cool possibilities that are out there uh, for the way to, to end with the swish of a net. So I'm excited to see it on Sunday. Right, and I would love for you to go in depth on kind of how you concocted the, this idea because it's, it's pretty awesome. This is from NBA's official release for those that don't know about the All-Star game. At the beginning of the fourth quarter, the game clock will be turned off and a final target score will be set. The final target score will be determined by taking the leading team's total cumulative score through three quarters and adding 24 points, representing Kobe Bryant's number, RIP. The teams will then play an untimed quarter and the first team to reach the final target score will win the NBA All-Star game. So that sounds relatively simple and easy to understand. It might take some time for some basketball fans to get used to. But I'm curious, how do you come up with that cumulative score at the end? Uh, going back to when I first devised this concept, there were different versions that I laid out. One, when I, when I first uh, devised this back in 2007, I actually preferred a version where you would eliminate the game clock from the entire second half of the game. Now, looking back, I think that's overkill. I don't think that's necessary. Another version, you would eliminate the uh, game clock from the fourth quarter, which is what the NBA is going to do for the All-Star game. And then a different version, which is actually the version I prefer the most, um, is and this is what TBT, the basketball tournament, implements, is where you would just get rid of the clock for the last few minutes of the game. But then whatever, you know, whatever part of the game that you're taking out, you're trying to uh, add back uh, a similar amount there. So you know, under normal circumstances, I think, and especially considering the higher scoring rate in the All-Star game, I think the NBA would have used uh, a higher number for the fourth quarter, something like 35 points to try to get, uh, you know, the, to simulate the length of a full fourth quarter. But given uh, Kobe's passing, this was a really good opportunity to, to pay tribute to him. And so that's where they, uh, that what's why they're using the plus 24 setting. 
Now, from what I understand, uh, you have nothing to do with basketball at Ball State University. This has just been uh, a passion project uh, of yours. You, of course, uh, wrote a book as well, Time's Up for Basketball's Game Clock, initially detailing the Elam ending, which has you know, now been developed and utilized by TBT and the, the All-Star Game. What was the one thing that kind of got you to really start thinking about this? Was it the hack-a-shack? Was it the fact that it takes you know, 10 minutes to finish two minutes of a basketball game? Was it a combination of all the above? What led to you coming up with this idea or at least saying, you know what, I want to seek out a solution? So it was a combination of things. And hack-a-shack, hack-a-shack refers to you know, a very specific kind of fouling. That's, that's, that's a kind of fouling you might even see in the first quarter of a game where you're really targeting you know, a very, very poor free-throw shooter. I was focused more on the late game uh, fouling for the primary purpose of stopping the clock. To me, it always it just seemed like a fundamental flaw. Here you have a a team just blatantly and overtly violating the rule of the game because it's their only recourse to try to come back in the game. And so, to me, on its own, that was enough to try to address it. You know, how do you compel teams to just play by the spirit of the rules? But then, as I reached researched it more and more, I realized. Because I, I, I always had this misconception that, well, you know, okay, you let teams foul at the end, that gives them a chance to come back. But then through my research, finding that when a team has to resort to that fouling strategy at the end, that they only come back and win the game about 1% of the time, then that was even more eye-opening to me. Like, wait a second, this is – here's a fundamental flaw, and it hardly ever works. It's really not an appealing style of play for anybody. Nobody enjoys that style. And yet it's still the trailing team's best option. Uh, so how, you know, and again, it's all because they are so desperate to stop the clock that they're willing to hand away free points. Uh, and so that's when the thought was, well, maybe if you just got rid of the clock at the end of the game, that that would address that particular aspect. And not only does it address that, but now it forces the leading team to play more assertively to get to the target score. Now you're going to see higher quality play all the way through the end. Cause another thing that I've noticed in my research is that, uh, you know, throughout the course of a basketball game, we're used to seeing teams score over one point per possession. But when you get into a true buzzer beater situation, that proficiency plummets to about 0.2 points per possession. So it turns the most important possession of a game into a blooper reel. And, you know, again, we see uh, it's, it's very hard to overcome late deficits, even relatively slim deficits. You get a lot of good games and big games that just kind of fade out with a whimper. And you get you get clock controversies and reviews and all this kind of stuff. So the Elam ending not not only addresses just the fouling aspect, but so many other things um, uh, that we see late in games. So how did an administrator, a math teacher, later a professor, go from writing this book, concepting the Elam ending, to getting the concept's big break and getting it on national television? Yeah. So you mentioned that uh, you know this is not my primary field. Yeah, I'm a lifelong educator, and uh, you know as you mentioned, I started out as a math math teacher. When I first thought of this, I was just starting out as a high school math teacher, and then. Along the way, uh, you know, moved into school administration, became a high school athletic director, became a school principal, and now I'm a professor who prepares future principals. Uh, and all along the way, this is just kind of like a side project, a side hobby, something that I can honestly say that, that at some point of the day, I have thought about every single day over those last, uh, you know, 13 years now. But, uh, you know, so I don't, I'm not when I started this, I was not well connected in the basketball world. I don't have uh, 
the knowledge of, you know, kind of self-promotion and that sort of thing. So that's probably one of the reasons why it did take 10 plus years for somebody to finally give it a chance. But just uh, persistence and diligence and really, really scrutinizing the idea to make sure that I had to convince myself that the idea was was uh, sound and that it was necessary and that it had the potential to be very cool. And, uh, you know, all those things along the way, uh, just reaching out to people and different different messaging, trying to emphasize different things, and knowing that at some point somebody was going to take a chance on it. And finally, in 2017, TBT did. Knowing knowing that, you know, again, all, all along, I was, I was speaking on behalf of the concept. And I just knew that once the concept had a chance to speak for itself, that that's when it would really take off. And so that's exactly what happened to TBT, that they implemented it the first time. And people are wondering, okay, what what are we getting into here? And then they see it, and they're like, okay, this is actually kind of a simple, straightforward, kind of an elegant idea. It's not it's not a gimmick, really. It's it's an anti gimmick because uh, you know it, it it's all meant to just preserve a natural style of play through the end. So again, once people see it, then they're like, oh, okay, like I get this now. This is pretty pretty straightforward. Now I heard a, a little story that you get some major praise from a future Hall of Famer. From what I understand, Chris Paul, CP3, had a TBT team uh, last year, and he loved the EOM ending so much, they told David Stern, hey, we got to implement this one day, and here we are a year later, it's being implemented in the All-Star game. What does it mean to get that kind of praise from that kind of player? Yeah, when when he uh, was the one who kind of put the wheels in motion with, with Commissioner Silver and, and now to see it come to life, that really means a lot for a few reasons. One is because, again, he has coached a team in TBT. He has he has seen this. He has uh, had to navigate this format of the Elam ending and has that firsthand experience. He's not basing this on, oh, you know, he heard about it and, you know, kind of thinks that it sounds like a good idea. No, like he's he's lived it. He has lived the Elam ending, and he and he uh, thinks that it's worth uh, being a proponent of this concept. So that's why it means a lot. The other reason that it means a lot is because of his level of influence. He is the president of the NBA Players Association. He doesn't just get to uh, kind of push his own pet causes. He has to speak on behalf of the players that he represents. So for me, that tells me that if he is uh, pushing this idea – that it's not just because he likes it, but that there are a fair number of NBA players who also support this concept. So that's why it means a lot for him to support it. Given the never-ending battle for eyeballs with sports, and other than the NFL, which also has lost some viewership here and there, you know, a lot of these sports are competing for attention, and people nowadays have shorter attention spans and everything. Could you see down the road the NBA adopting this, not just for the All-Star game and, and special games, if they do, like, say, like a midseason tournament or anything like that, but an actual regular season? Well, if I had a vote, I would vote for it right now. I'd vote for <laughs> it yesterday, you know, but I, but I only get so much say. I, I just have to, uh, you know, keep proposing the, the merits of the concept and then hope that someone who does have the ability to implement it uh, will take a chance on it. But I absolutely think that there's a chance that it will continue to grow and develop. I mean, already based on TBT's success, we've seen uh, grassroots level leagues and events all throughout the United States. And I even just heard the other day, there's a league, a men's league in Egypt, you know, that's implemented it. So again, at that grassroots level, it's growing now that it's in the all-star game at the NBA level, that's huge. And there are so many great testing grounds uh, that, you know, the NBA, if, if they still want to kind of, stress tested a little bit 
many other great testing grounds for it, whether that is something like the G League, whether that's something like uh, that in that midseason tournament that you mentioned, preseason, uh, different uh, FIBA leagues. In the college level, you have postseason tournaments like the NIT, where they experiment with a lot of rules, or the CBI or the CIT. So, again, I think it'll continue to grow at those kinds of venues first. And then, again, the dream, like you said, is to see it play at the highest level, the NBA, the WNBA, NCAA Division One, and the Olympics. If you could implement the rules today with the NBA, what would be the target score? It's important to I, – I think it's okay to keep the clock around – pretty far into the game because that way that makes it a little more TV friendly where you're able to have a pretty predictable uh, time range where, you know, I think NBA likes that two and a half hour window. The longer you keep the game clock around, the more predictable the length of the game's going to be. And with that 24 second shot clock in the NBA, uh, you really don't see teams with the lead really go into a stall offense until uh, you know just the, the very final minutes of the game. So for NBA, I would keep the clock around until the first stoppage under the three-minute mark of the fourth quarter. Uh, another reason why that's a good transition point is because that happens to be the last media timeout in the NBA. So it makes for just kind of a natural time to transition. So we're going to keep the clock uh, to the, to the three-minute mark of the fourth quarter, and then I would set the target score equal to uh, seven points above the leading team score. So you think about, uh, you know, you think about three minutes, seven points. If you extrapolate that over the course of a whole game, a 48 minute game, that's about 112 points. And that's, that pretty well matches the scoring rate in the NBA. So I would go three minutes of the fourth quarter and use plus seven to set the target score. Good stuff. But what's great. What's great about it is that, you know, all these things are written in pencil. We just have to give it a chance and test it out and see if there are any adjustments that need to be made. Uh, you know, if it, if it seems like that's not enough points, maybe we need to bump it up to plus eight or plus nine, then you can certainly do that. Uh, for TBT, we started out with four-minute mark and plus seven. We have since bumped that up to plus eight to try to, again, match uh, that amount of time that we're taking out. So, again, you just – it all it just needs a chance. It just needs to be a, ch- a chance to uh, be experimented with to find that perfect setting for each league. Well, I think you you picked a great sport to implement a, a change like that or help implement a change like that because I mean basketball is such a global sport and now even more and even just domestically. I mean TBT's had a lot of success. Big Three's had a lot of success. You got all the international leagues. You have FIBA. Of course, the NBA is tinkering with maybe doing a midseason tournament and, and some other stuff uh, in the preseason. And, and of course, uh, with the All Star Game and everything. So uh, I think you got a pretty good foundation here, and you definitely have a community of not just basketball players, but I think fans that are willing to try something new. Yeah, and what I think is really cool about it is again because when you read about it or hear about it for the first time, the eliminating, it sounds like the, it sounds much more complex than it really is. I mean, really it just comes down to, you know, a pretty basic arithmetic at the end of the game there. And so again, I think once people see it, then they realize, okay, now I understand the, the spirit of this rule. And I, I, you know, I get feedback of all types from all different people. One, one thing I think is really one of the coolest things though some of the people who are most outspoken in their support of the ELA mending are people who would kind of consider themselves old school or purists, uh, people who really just value good fundamental basketball. And that's, again, that's really what the ELA mending is meant to, uh, you know, meant to capture. 
Excellent. Well, Nick, I sincerely appreciate the time. I know you got a very busy all-star week. Tell us what you'll be up to over the weekend. Well, I'm definitely going to be uh, in the arena on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night uh, for all the all-star weekend events. I've also got uh, you know some different media opportunities, which is really exciting. It's always nice to be able to discuss this concept. I'm really excited uh, that NBA TV is going to have me on uh, Friday afternoon and, again, have a chance to discuss the concept. So, so it's going to be a fun weekend.